Uh, good morning again. Uh, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. So you can go ahead and start uh, turning there. Um, as you're making your way there, I want to remind you of where we were last week. Um, and before we get into all this with the sermon, perhaps as you're still turning there, we'll run through the announcements that we all know what's going on. Um, going on in the, the, with uh, the business of the church, so to speak. So um, a members meeting is September 4th. At 5 p.m. That's a members meeting September 4th at 5 p.m. There will be food provided at that. Um, If the weather's great, we'll be outside um, enjoying that time together. So members, put that on the calendar um, so you can come and and be a part of that. Also, the five-year anniversary party location still being nailed down. um, But that's September 18th at 1 p.m. We're hoping to have it uh, somewhere outside um, nearby here so that we can gather a bunch of people all together. Um, also, today at 3.30, there's actually an interest meeting for the church plant at Walnut Woods Park. Um, and so, if you're going to come and, and enjoy that time with us, please do. Um, if you're not going to be coming, please pray for us as we gather there um, with the church plant and with people who are coming to hear um, about it. Now, as we turn to uh, this passage today, I want to just warn you that we'll, we'll go right into it because we need we have a lot to talk about. Um, and so, we remember that last week we, heard, we received a call from God that as Christians we are to honor um, the, the human authorities that God has placed in our lives. We are here and we are called by Christ out of reverence for Christ to honor and submit to human authorities. And this week um, our passage actually begins with the word likewise. So this idea of submission and being subject is continuing on, although the venue this week has changed. Instead of being about um, submission in the, um, perhaps in the social realm, we're talking about submission within the context of marriage. We're talking about the, the roles that are laid out in Scripture between um, a husband and a wife. But um, as we get into that, maybe you're still turning to 1 Peter 3, um, I want to encourage you as we talk about this with something that's already been said at least once in our series of 1 Peter And that is that you and I have to be aware of the fact that sometimes whenever we hear um, Scripture that is difficult to hear or accept or maybe enjoy, um, our reflex to that is trying to make it unclear. We try to make what the Word is saying unclear, and that's an easy way for us to get out of discomfort, and it's an easy way for us to avoid obeying it. And so today, that's that's a habit that all of us have. By the way, that's not a habit that just some of us have. That's what we all kind of instinctively want to do when Scripture confronts us. And so today, what I want to encourage you with is that if there are parts of this that do feel um, confrontational or they do feel like they create some friction in our hearts, instead of giving into that temptation of trying to like sort of wiggle around the meaning, right? Instead of that, we need to embrace it because we trust that God's Word is good. This is one of the things that our church is built upon, is the belief that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and because it's all breathed out by God, that means it's good. That means in the midst of a world around us that has no idea who we are, what, what a man is, what a woman is, and what, where we came from and what we're for, we can believe that we actually know the answers to those questions, that God has given those to us. And so that's what we're going to um, talk about today. And the last thing I want to encourage you with is if there are points um, that create friction in our hearts, I want us to ask ourselves where that's coming from. 
I want us to ask ourselves, is there like a moment of friction or something because uh, we believe it's not faithful to the Bible, or is there a moment of friction because it conflicts with the cultural beliefs that we've inherited? I want that to be in our minds as we go through this. Now, today the main idea of where everything is kind of headed is this. So put it up on the screen so that um, it's hopefully if you're, if you're into taking notes, there will be lots of things to write down today. Um, God calls wives to Christ-like submission, and he calls husbands to Christ-like headship so that both can show the goodness of God in distinct ways. God calls wives to Christ-like submission and husbands to Christ-like headship so that both can show the goodness of God in distinct ways. Now today, if you are uh, not married or perhaps you're, you're younger and you're not of marriage age yet, um, please don't already tune out just because I said the words husbands and wives. You might already be gone, but I'm going to ask you to come back and pay attention this morning. Um, and the reason, there's, there's actually a lot of reasons for that. The first is that this is God's word, and so whenever God's word is opened, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what stage of life you are in, it is good for us to pay attention when God's word is opened. Um, secondly, you need to know what you want to look for in marriage if you desire to be married. It's never uh, too early to know what you are looking for and what you're practicing for, so to speak. Um, next, you need to know how to help your married friends. Just because you're not married doesn't mean you have nothing to offer in the way of wisdom or in help to your married friends. You have the word of God, so you can uh, share with them the wisdom that you get from the word and encourage them in the callings that they've been given. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, even if you are not married today, you can still um, show good fruit in these areas. It's going to look different, right? It's going to look different because these callings are kind of um, specifically given to husbands and wives, but a single man or a single woman can, in fact, um, bear good fruit in these areas, right? It's going to look a little different, but that doesn't mean that you have no opportunity to glorify God just because you're not married. So today, I want us to, it, it'll, it'll take a, maybe a little more work if you're not married today because you'll have to do a little more thinking than um, married people because it won't be as spelled out for you. But I want to encourage you that there is good things for all of us here to learn. And so as we go through this, we're just going to talk first about Christ-like submission, and then we're going to talk about Christ-like headship. And then um, the reason that submission is first, by the way, is simply because that's the first thing in the passage. That's how I got that. Um, Along the way, we're going to fill in these definitions and hopefully um, call attention to what makes this good and beautiful, something that's, that's exciting for us to embrace, not something that we are, um, that's something that's arbitrary or something that we have to be reluctant about embracing. And so with all that said, um, I want us to read this passage together. We stand out of reverence for God's word, so I'd like to invite you to stand with us if you're able. As we read 1 Peter 3, we're going to read verses 1 all the way through verse 7. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman Women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands 
As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we ask for your help. And I ask for your help to be uh, faithful in uh, teaching it, and we ask for your help to be faithful in hearing it. Lord, we trust that your word is good. We, we know that your um, design and picture uh, for humanity is so much better than anything we could come up with on our own. And so we ask for you to teach that to us, and that everything we do would point to Christ and the grace that he has given us, the fact that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We give thanks for Jesus this morning, and we ask all this in his name. Amen. And so the, the first thing that we might think about when we read these, uh, this first verse, as it talks about wives being subject to your husbands, said, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. The problem that's first being addressed here is that all of these women had begun to follow Jesus Christ. They had seen him as the risen Lord. They had trusted in him and they were following him. But the biggest issue was that their husbands had not. Their husbands had not. And so they were sitting there saying, well, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm following Christ and my husband isn't, what do I do? Right? What, what do I do with that? Do I still, like, am I still married to him? What's my responsibility to him? How has my relationship changed with him? Because it'd be difficult, right? Put yourself in the shoes of these women. That would be a difficult situation to be in, even like it is today. And so the answer that's given here is an answer from God that the, the way to respond to this is to continue and to be um, subject, to be in submission to your own Husbands, and that that was a way by which, through your pure, respectful conduct, you could win your husbands to the faith. That was the, the sermon that they were called to preach, was this sermon of pure conduct. Now, that's really great because it's a pretty straightforward command, right? It doesn't, it's not all that complicated. However, whenever we read the words like be subject or as it's translated otherwise, it could be translated submission or submit. Um, even in parallel passages of Scripture, that's the word that's used. And so then the, the question that comes up in my mind is, okay, that's great, but what does it actually mean to submit, right? Because otherwise we can just sit here and agree like, yep, that sounds good, but we have no idea what to actually do. And so I want to supply for us today a definition of, of submission. And this is by no means exhaustive or perfect, but I, I do believe that it is um, a good place for us to start today. And so submission is uh, the calling of a wife to honor her husband's headship and respond with sacrificial Christ-like love. The calling of a wife to honor her husband's headship and respond with sacrificial Christ-like love. See, the thing about submission, it is actually far less about a list of do's and don'ts, like a, as if there's a list of all these actions and like they're always either submissive or unsubmissive. Um, we as human beings often just want that list to follow of like a checklist to do. But the reality is that this is much more about a demeanor and a character that God is calling women to have. 
See, it's, it's much less about do's and don'ts, and it's far, about, far more about demeanor and character. It's far more about choosing to complement the leadership of her husband. And it's ultimately a call to actually demonstrate the work of Jesus. See, this, this invitation, this call to submit, is actually an invitation for wives to imitate what the incarnate Christ did with God the Father. This is where we see Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 11. And we don't have time to turn to those today, but I invite you to write those down. Um, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, that these will fill in some of the, the other gaps of what we're talking about. Um, but there we see that it is in fact true that Christ in the incarnation submitted to God the Father. And so this invitation is actually one that is supposed to model and imitate and reenact to the world what the Savior did. So this is a distinct opportunity for wives, for women to preach the gospel that is literally not given to men. This is a distinct and great opportunity to preach the gospel that is given um, as a calling to women, to wives, to submit to their own husbands. Now, that's, if that's what submission is, if that's kind of a rough outline, I think it's helpful for us to distinguish what this fr- the submission from what submission is not. And so submission is not, just to be clear, it is not inequality in any way, and it doesn't imply inequality in any way. There's absolutely uh, nothing unequal about men or women in the sight of God. So this is talking about submitting to an equal, not submitting to, to a superior. Nor is um, this submission demeaning. And this morning, if you're having trouble um, believing that it's not demeaning, um, I think I could understand that. Um, but I want to give you two reasons that, that you shouldn't think about it that way. The first is that just a few verses ago, you remember that the, the call to submission was held out to both men and women in regards to civil authorities and to human institutions. So if it wasn't demeaning for both men and women just a chapter ago, it's certainly not demeaning just for women now. On top of that, um, the other reason, and perhaps the strongest reason, is that if submission to an equal, if submission to an equal was demeaning, then how in the world could it be said of our Savior, right? See, Christ in the incarnation submitted to God the Father, even though they are both equally God. So submission to an equal is not possibly a downgrade of any kind unless we're prepared to say that Jesus like downgraded or was demeaned by submitting to the Father. And we don't want to say that mainly because it's not true. <laughs> and so what we see in that submission um, specifically of Christ in the incarnation to the Father is that we actually see that this wasn't a means of being demeaned, but instead, this was actually incredibly glorious, and it led to exaltation, right? We see that in Philippians chapter 2, that this was actually a path that led to a high exaltation, not to being demeaned. And so I want to encourage you today, if, if think, that thinking of submission to an equal as demeaning is not what God thinks. It is not what God thinks. It is not true. It is actually an image and a reenactment of what the Savior and the Lord of the whole universe has done. That's why it's beautiful. That's why it's good. Because it's not just something that's just handed out for no reason. It's something that's given because it is a picture of Jesus Christ. And if it was 
actually an honorable thing for him, then as you walk in it, it's an honorable thing for you. It's not a demeaning thing for you. This leads us to uh, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Many of the things that are laid out in this verse, as it talks about adorning yourself or clothing yourself, covering yourself, um, many of the things that are called out here are examples of that time of either vanity or excessive wealth um, or even a means of seduction. That's what those things are that are called out. And so, um, Quite simply, the the instruction here is that instead of drawing attention or seeking power through a physical means or shallow means or worldly means, instead God calls His children to be noticed for humility, patience, grace, and fearlessness. We'll get to fearlessness in a second. And I know that in the midst of a world that tells tells us all kinds of different things, that tells women all kinds of wrong things... I want to encourage you today to believe God's word that this is what is most beautiful. This is what is most beautiful. This is what is the greatest thing to seek. Is the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet, pure spirit. To have a character that looks like Christ. You know, the word imperishable has come up a few times in the book of First Peter, and um, every time it's, re- it's reserved for something of pretty high esteem, right? It talks about the imperishable word of God. It talks about the imperishable inheritance that we're given in Christ and the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. And now it actually says that this beauty that comes from adorning um, yourself with this character, with this um, respectful, pure character is actually imperishable as well. So if you long for a beauty that doesn't fade, this is where you can find it. We're pointed next to an example of a hero of the faith of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And you remember um, why this is brought up. Abraham and Sarah were about 100 years old. 100 years old, they had no children. And then God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to leave the land that you know. I want you to go to a place that you don't know, that that I'll tell you later. And I want you to take everything you have, go with you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Which is a pretty um, large group of promises. And the reason that Sarah is recognized here, and I think the reason that she's honored here, is because despite any doubts, fears, or questions that she may have had about it, and she certainly had all of those things, how could she not? If, if um, wives, if your husband came to you and said any of those things, you'd have tons of questions to ask him about it. You'd probably have tons of fears and doubts and uh, worries about it as well. In spite of all those things, she submitted to this call, right? She followed her husband in this. She followed into the covenant that that God had given to her husband to lead the land that they knew. And this is held up as an amazing example of faith. An amazing example of faith. And And it's also interesting to me that this is held out as like some, a distinct badge of honor, that, that wives are able to attain that, quite frankly, is not able to attain for a husband, for a man. All the time, we'll talk about being children of Abraham. We even have a song about it, right? You might have sung it. If you, were part of, if you were, grew up in Sunday school, you probably sang the song, and 
It's probably stuck in your head just by me mentioning it. Um, but this is a badge of honor that we wear. But this is, this is like a distinct badge of honor to be called a daughter of Sarah by faithfully a- attaining to this um, faithfulness, this fearlessness, this submission, and this um, godly living. The last thing I want to say about um, submission is that it is not at all connected to, to uh, timidity or to fearless or fearfulness, rather. It's not connected to timidity or fearfulness. You remember the, the very last part of verse 6 says, If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So fear and being fearful is not in any way um, connected to submitting. Those two things are not synonyms. And this submission is not at all in any way a weakness. It's not something that results from fear or leads to fear. So ladies, I want to encourage you today. God's call to you is not to become some wilting flower or some like flag in a hurricane that is just blown all around with no backbone of your own. The call for you is not to become oh so polite and quiet that you lose a backbone, you lose your beliefs, your intelligence, your perspective, your goals, your pursuits, or your own strengths. Instead, God is calling you to a humble and responsive submission that's characterized by character and a fearlessness. By good character and fearlessness. Out of a motivation to do good, to do what is right, honor God, and win the world. This is a means by which God has planned to win the world for Christ. Is through this calling he has given to wives. Now here the passage turns the coin over um, and focuses on the call to a husband. So wives, women, you don't have to listen to the rest of this. I'm just kidding. Don't do, please pay attention. Because you get to tell your husband what he's messing up on. Um, in verse 7 we read... Um, we read about the call for husbands. Before we get to this, I want to talk about what um, Christ-like headship is. I want to kind of throw, supply the definition and then we'll fill it in. So the call for Christ-like headship is the call for a husband to gladly assume Christ-like responsibility, authority, and initiative. To gladly assume, so they don't have to be talked into it, you gladly assume Christ-like responsibility, authority, and initiative. Now we'll fill that definition in. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The first thing to notice is that this command cannot be carried out if it is not done in an understanding way. So husbands, if you lack understanding, you are not following the word here. And I think that this is both understanding towards your wife and also understanding toward God's word. There needs to be an understanding, a care, a graciousness with which you lead. And at the same time, you need to understand God's word as you do it. Because your role is not inherited, your role is delegated to you. It's delegated to you. It's not something that you just have by virtue of your genetics. It's delegated to you by God. And because it's delegated to you by God, that means that, first of all, it is to be respected out of respect for God. It's the same reason that we are called to um, respect human institutions. We do it 
not because they're honorable, but because God is honorable and he's instituted them. And it's the same way here. You, you respect this because of the reverence for God. However, the other side of that is the fact that it's delegated means that it's only defined by God. So this, this whole setup, it, it might be tempting to feel this way, but, um, and this is certainly the way that the world today paints this picture, but the call from God is not, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, do whatever you want. Not at all what the scriptures say. Instead, this role is defined and limited and, and the boundaries are set by God. Which means that whenever you choose to lead in a way that is outside of his boundaries, you choose to not do it in a Christ-like way, you choose to do it against his word, you have, in effect, relinquished your authority. You have not um, dealt honorably with the leadership that has been entrusted to you. So understand your wife. Show care to her. And also understand God's words so that you could bear this responsibility well, so that you could bear it like Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 25, says it this way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the example that we're given in Christ. This is how husbands show Christ in their relationship, just like wives can show Christ to the world in the way that they relate to their husbands. This is how husbands show their relationship with Christ to the world, by not exalting ourselves, but by laying ourselves down. Christ actually took the initiative to pursue his bride, right? We didn't, we didn't um, bring Christ to come save us. He took the initiative. He loved us first. He came to save us as his bride and lay himself down so that he could actually save and glorify his bride, That's the call for husbands today, to show honor, as it says in verse 7, to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, the the two words, show honor, are the two words that are easy for us to understand um, and we like, and the two words, weaker vessel, are two words that might make the hair stand up on the back of our head um, as we read them. So what does it mean um, that the vessel is stronger or weaker? First of all, what is the vessel? The vessel is um, referring to our physical bodies, referring to our physical bodies. And what does it mean that it's stronger or weaker? Well, first of all, it's talking about the fact that we were created differently, that men and women were created distinctly and differently, and that was on purpose, because God had different purposes in mind. But this weakness, or this not even weakness, but being weaker is not being weaker in terms of dignity, a competency, intelligence, or gifting. Being a weaker vessel does not mean at all to be less dignified, less competent, less intelligent, or less gifted. Instead, it's speaking to the purposeful and creational differences between men and women that um, that would include all the physical differences, all those basic, even mental differences that we can observe between men and women through um, pretty basic uh, science. And this is where our, our cultural instincts really butt into the conversation. Um, because the world today, our instincts today, tell us that any, talking about any difference between, two, between the two sexes is automatically saying that one is better than the other, Right? 
if we start to talk at all about differences between the two sexes, the assumption is that must mean one is better than the other. That's what you're trying to say, right? But that's just honestly just not clear thinking. It's just not logical. It's just not biblical. Noticing the differences between, let's say, like an F-350 and a Lamborghini does not in any way say that either one of those things is lacking, right? They are made for different things. And actually, flattening those two um, cars out, kind of trying to flatten down their glory, mash them together into some weird Frankenstein type of vehicle, and then sending that vehicle to the job site and to the racetrack is actually going to do a disservice to both of those things. It's not going to glorify either the truck or the car. It's actually going to remove some of the dignity of both of those things when we try to flatten them out. That, and that's what God is saying to us, that it's actually, it is, a, it is a good thing. I'll let us debate later on, and maybe in your community groups you can debate if the women are the F-350 or the Lamborghini or the men. But that, that's not necessarily the important part. The important part is that those two things have lots of crossover, right? They, they can serve lots of the same purposes, but they also are beautiful in the fact that they serve different purposes, And they both glorify their creators by doing the things that they were made to do. And they both function better doing the things they were made to do. And they bring more joy doing the things that they were designed for. And so this comment of being a weaker vessel is not one that is meant to demean women in any way. It can't possibly be that because think about what is in the rest of that sentence. We're supposed to show honor because of this being the weaker vessel. So the, the weaker vessel comment is actually a cause for honor. It's not a cause for exploiting or demeaning or mocking or making fun of or tearing down. It's actually a cause to show honor. It's a reason. Whatever this weakness is, it's a reason that men ought to show honor, not a reason that men ought to disregard. And so I want to ask us today, husbands in the room, I want to ask you, Very specifically, does your wife feel honored by you? Does your wife feel honored by you in your marriage? And for all men in the room, whether you are married or not, I want to ask you, do women around you feel honored by you? Do the women around you feel honored by you? Because men are called to lead on the basis of being a co-heir. Not on being the sole heir, not on being the head heir or the firstborn. We're called to lead on the basis of being a co-heir, which means we were equally in need of salvation from God, and we also have been equally reconciled back to God. And so if you refuse to live this out, men, if you refuse to live this out with an honor for your wife, and you don't um, bear this headship properly, then your walk with God is going to be greatly hindered. So don't live brashly with your wife and then expect that God just doesn't care about it or doesn't notice it. Your prayers will be hindered, as it says. That's a sin. Don't do it. Instead, love your wife as Christ loved the church, that he died and gave himself up for her. For your calling today is a calling not to exalt yourself, but to lay yourself down. So three questions as we close. First Do we struggle to believe that God's design is more beautiful than our own? Do we struggle to believe that God's design is more beautiful 
than the one we can come up with. Second, how can we live these out today in our marriage? How can we live these out today in our marriage? And lastly, how can we live out these attitudes if we are not married? How can we still embody these things even if we are not married? Because this is a beautiful thing. This is how we can show God to the world in a way that just a one-sided coin, so to speak, could not. Right? There's two sides to this coin or to this painting that God has designed. And just having one of those sides would not show his glory in the gospel as clearly as two. That's why he made it this way. This is how you and I can show the beauty of God's truth in a world that does not know what men and women are from or for. And this is beautiful because it's difficult. Because neither for men nor women is this natural or easy. If you think it's easy, you're probably not doing it. Um, you, this is difficult, and so we will need to lean into the example and the grace that God gives us by His Spirit to live this out. And this is amazing and beautiful because of the truth that we get to share in the good news through this very thing. That Jesus Christ came to bear the weight of God's wrath on behalf of sinners like you and like me. That Jesus Christ was crucified and that he rose again for our justification so that anyone who trusts in him can be freely, fully, and totally reconciled back to God as his bride. That's the story that God has entrusted to us to tell and to embody. We have been born again into a living hope. We've been made co-heirs in the grace of life. So let's go and live in it. Pray with me. Father, you are a great and perfect Father, and we confess that we fall short, or we fall short of your commands, we fall short of your glory, and we ask that today you would help us, Lord, to glorify you in everything that we say and do, even down to our relationships, even down to our marriages. God, make our hearts um, like your own. Lord, I pray that this morning anything, um, anything that, was, that you would block out, anything that I said that was not um, helpful, and that, Lord, instead you would teach us by your Spirit that which is good for us to embody, to live out, to obey, and to believe. And we ask all this in the name of Christ, our Savior, Lord, the, the one who has given himself up for us, his bride. Amen.